0: And this is a subject whose time has come. We're all coming down here to Earth, I think for specific reasons, to learn things we cannot learn on the astral planes. And we're here to learn very tough lessons. We don't quite realize that we're immortal. Uh, we didn't start here, we're not ending here. We're, and people talk about astral projection, uh, which is, awesome, I love it, I've had a lot of experiences with it, but it's kind of a misnomer. The truth is we're projecting down physically, uh, and <laughs> our true home is the other side. Uh, so this is part of spiritual awakening, is waking up to the fact that we are immortal beings. That's what we're, I think, really struggling to wake up to, is and to connect back to Source. And the ETs are doing their best to help us along with this. Uh, I was told, a contactee was told by the ETs, oh yeah, we've been manipulating your DNA for millennia. Mm. And we're seeing this whole hybrid baby phenomenon now. They are basically upgrading us bit by bit. It's very, very special to be human. We're down here in a very low physical plane. And uh, And, it's uh, really important that we leave fear behind and move towards a place of love and spirituality. And that's going to change the world.
1: Welcome to the Inner Sanctum online group sessions with Karen Swain. This recording is some highlights from our two to three hour online sessions where I teach deliberate creation each week and once and sometimes twice a month, we invite a guest teacher to share their wisdom and their work, and we can quiz them and we have a lovely time. Enjoy the highlights, and if you'd like to join us, please go to karenswain.com slash Inner Sanctum and sign up. Hello, welcome to the Inner Sanctum for, what month are we, August 15th, 16th, with my very special guest, Preston Dennett. Welcome, Preston.
0: Yeah. Hi, Karen. How are you doing? (laughs) Sorry, I was muted.
1: Does everyone know who Preston is? Has everyone seen his work? I think everyone has. Brad hasn't. You <laughs> haven't seen Preston? Oh, my God. And But you have, Dan, haven't you? Yeah, I think everyone. everyone I has. haven't. You haven't? No, oh. sorry, Preston. But I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll read Preston's bio, a little bit of your bio. So Preston Dennett is a UFO paranormal researcher and the author of 27 or 28 books now, Preston?
0: It's 28, pushing 29.
1: <laughs> so you've got another book on the go?
0: Oh, yeah, always.
1: What one have you got ha- happening now?
0: Uh, well, there's 28 now. i um, working on number 29 about a lady who's having fully conscious contact. It's amazing. I know I've talked to a lot of people who have had UFO encounters Uh, but never want someone quite like this. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, she's had a lot of experiences.
1: And hundreds of articles and 38 fiction stories published, probably got more than that now as well. Preston began investigating UFOs in the 80s, 1986, when he discovered that his family and friends and co-workers were having dramatic encounters. Um, I've spoken to Preston on the show and we discussed this, but I loved it because you were such a sceptic. And then the people around you who you thought would be completely sceptical to go, oh, no, I've had these encounters, including your family. <laughs>
0: That was was a shock, let me tell you. (laughs) I was not prepared to hear that.
1: So today you've encountered hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena as you're a field investigator for Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, and appeared on numerous television, radio, and, and TV programs. You've presented in places like the LA Times, the LA Daily News, dallas morning news and other newspapers and you've taught classes lectured on various paranormal subjects across the united states currently you're residing in southern california where it's 100 degrees today and you continue to write about aliens and off-world beings both fictional and real okay and what's your website preston dennett.weebly.com is that right that's right so what's the latest book called
0: Uh, The latest book is called Wondrous, 25 True UFO Encounters. Pretty excited about it. It was just out in, let's see, three months ago in May. And yeah, 25 true, never-before-published cases covering really the entire gamut of the UFO phenomena. Uh, Some sightings with telepathic contacts, some landing cases, a really interesting USO account. People have been taken on board. Three whistleblower accounts, three government whistleblower accounts I've been sitting on for a while. So, yeah, this, I'm super excited about this one.
1: Ah, oh, wow. Well, I think your work is so important because when you hear about these stories separately, they seem, you know, it seems sort of unusual. But when you, when you look at the amount of work that you've put into putting all these stories together, you understand that this phenomena is just there's just so much of it going on, you know, it's just, it's not unusual. It's sort of looking like it's quite it's quite normal or usual. Yeah, it's it's amazing to uh listen to you share your work on YouTube. I loved the one, as I said to you, I was watching last night, the manted ones, the one with the manted beings. And there was a woman that saw a 15-foot Amanda. Did you meet her or was that something that you researched online?
0: Uh, well, I corresponded with her, did an interview. I wasn't able to meet her face to face, but I did a, she wrote out a nice long report for me. And also we did an interview about what she wrote. So I was able to get the whole story more than once and a really neat, neat lady. She's a teacher uh really gave a great interview some people have trouble expressing what they've seen not her she was really quite forthright and unfiltered and really kind of funny i'm great sense of humor uh yeah i just i I fall in love with all the people i interview Um, (laughs) i feel like they're all my friends i know i know i know. really blessed
1: Yeah, me too. Look, her account uh, was amazing. She takes the dog out for the cat in the background. She takes the dogs out (laughs) for a walk. I think it was before sunrise, so it was quite dark, right? And then in the distance, she sees this being, which can't really work out what she's seeing. That's the same height as a a light, a, a street light, which was about 15 foot tall. Can you imagine being out for a walk early, what, six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, and you see this 15-foot frame.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was 4.30 a.m. actually. Oh, she gets she, up early. Yeah, I don't know how she does it, but she does go for a morning jog each morning outside her home where she lived back then. This was 2006, uh, O'Fallon, Illinois, which was a pretty rural community. And yeah, I was out there jogging with her dog, and she's, thought which you know she's coming up this to this t intersection and uh it's about a hundred maybe 200 feet in front of her she saw what she thought was a man on stilts actually wearing extenders on his arms and he's walking down the center of the road uh which is a busy a busy road during the day no one's there at that hour and it was her dog who noticed it first (laughs) he stopped and pricked up his ears and looked right at this thing So she stops, and this thing walks right under the streetlight. And as you said, this is how she knows how tall it was. It walks under the streetlight, and it's a praying mantis. It's got huge eyes, a long, thin, stick-like body. It's sort of a mottled gray in color. And taking like six to ten foot strides as it's just booking it down the road. Its head is facing down, and it's sort of scanning the road back and forth as if it's looking for something. Maybe it dropped the keys to its UFO. <laughs> uh, I don't know, uh, but it was definitely a shock to her. She, she didn't even know quite what to think of it at first. And I couldn't believe what she did next. Um, Cause I might just turn around and run home. <laughs> I don't know how it would react, but that's not what she did. She, she runs after it. <laughs> she actually took off after this thing and got up to the T intersection and saw it just in time to sort of go, it went off into the cornfield there and disappeared into the brush. So a pretty brief encounter, but she saw it close enough. I mean, it was right under the streetlight and her dog saw it too. So I'm, I'm like, well, why do you think it was there? Is there anything around there that would possibly Attract a, a fifteen-foot-tall praying mantis, and she kind of, you know, shook her head and said, "No, not the, you know, there's there's cornfields, there's a school, a high school right where she was." Uh, but she did say there is one thing, and when she, she told me, I'm like, "Oh, she lives about six miles away from Scott Air Force Base, and uh, that's pretty close." And Scott Air Force Base, well, that rang a bell in my head immediately because I knew that Scott Air Force Base had been involved in a pretty significant encounter just a few years earlier in the year 2000. There was a giant triangular shaped craft that basically skirted Scott Air Force Base. Numerous police officers from various counties in this area saw it, a lot of witnesses, so this area definitely seems to have some activity (laughs) to it. Uh, And there's a lot of UFOs attracted to Air Force bases anyway. So I don't know if there's a connection there or not. And another thing that sort of rang alarm bells in my head was when she mentioned the date of the encounter, which was late 2006... That was exactly around the same time as another very famous encounter, which was not far away from where she lived. And you may have heard of it. It was the Chicago O'Hare Airport encounter where a UFO hovered right over one of the control towers there and was seen by pilots and baggage handlers and people in the radar tower and um, people uh, on visiting the airport. Uh, it's a very famous encounter here in the US. So I, I don't know. It's a very strange case, to say the least.
1: Well, you, you go on to say that it wasn't her only incident, that even as a child, she'd had some uh, I- encounters. It's it's not like these things are random one-off things. Usually, if someone has had a physical encounter with an um, off-world being or star nation person or an extraterrestrial alien or whatever you want to call them, Uh, It's not their first rodeo show, so to speak. It's not their first time. They've usually had some. uh, Have you met anybody that's had just the one incident, or is there always a backstory involved or a follow-up?
0: Oh, no, no. I would say there's a good 30% of people who have had a one-off. Absolutely, It does happen, but... Now, as she was talking, she was giving me the impression that this was a singular experience for her uh, because it completely (laughs) blew her mind. She couldn't believe it. She told only her family. She's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Uh, The only reason she actually contacted me was because she couldn't find another account like hers, but finally did find one in one of my books. I had interviewed a Navy medic who had encountered two 15 foot tall praying mantis et's wow. uh, yeah he was actually taken from a navy ship out in the let's see the atlantic the near the bermuda triangle actually just outside of it uh so th- that's why she contacted me because uh she had never heard anyone else describe anything like this and as i questioned her uh because Yeah, I tend to think when someone has a close encounter, often there's a pattern. And so I questioned her about her childhood, because this is when it often starts for people who have close encounters, face-to-face in particular, or onboard experiences. And she paused for a second and was like, well, yeah, actually, yes. Uh, And began to describe how, as a very young girl, age uh, four, five, six, she had repeated encounters with short figures coming to her bedroom in the wee hours of the morning and uh, she would scream call out her, pe- her parents who would come running in and search the room and of course they never saw anything happened so many times her parents forbade her from waking them up anymore which kind of breaks my heart <laughs> yeah because here we have, I mean, this, I hear this all the time, little kids are on their own because their parents don't believe them. So yeah. this is a good lesson for any parents out there whose kids are saying, something's coming into my room at night. Uh, and she once woke up and she wasn't in her room. She was actually in another place, presumably a craft, because the description she gave was the one I hear pretty much universally. Uh, She described being in a small room, was very brightly lit with no discernible light source. And she saw small figures around her. She couldn't see their faces. She had like a a sheet over her uh, at some point. And uh, she heard, or she felt like they were uh, going to do an operation on her to fix her in some way, uh, which was peculiar because she didn't have any health problems. (laughs) Uh, But this is something they absolutely do. that's one of their main agendas is to heal people. This subject gets a lot of, and there's a lot of fear surrounding it. And it's not always warranted because uh, what happens when people are taken on board is actually not not necessarily bad. It can be very scary. And she did in fact have anxiety after this, following these childhood uh, visitations uh but generally speaking i mean a lot of good things do happen which we can definitely get into but uh that's how it began for her and she ended up having further experiences which really surprised me i mean one which kind of just i was like wow <laughs> it's very unusual people do see ets in public places but it's not super common and she described an experience which was I don't want to say unique, but I certainly haven't heard a lot like it. She was uh, actually in the passenger seat of a vehicle. She was a high school student and was just driving along. There was someone, a small child sitting behind her. This is during the day. And she hears the child sitting behind her gasp loudly. And uh, that caught her attention. So she turned and looked outside to see you know, what the child was looking at. And this car had just pulled up alongside them. And there was a figure in the front seat driving and it wasn't human. She felt that this figure was not a normal human being by any means. Uh, And it turned and looked at her and she got a real good look at it. It had a big oversized egg-shaped head with no hair, except for a few spriggles on top, she said. Very pale, mottled, white skin, I mean, just deathly pale. And uh, really what struck her was the eyes. Uh, These were very large, completely black eyes with no irises, no whites in their eyes, just completely black. And that scared her so bad, she immediately looked away (laughs) and uh, refused to look back. So I am not sure what to make of that account. Uh, I haven't heard a lot of cases quite like that. She thought perhaps it might've been a spiritual, uh, malevolent spirit, perhaps. I'm not so sure, but she did later encounter what appears to be the same type of being in, of all places, a Sam's Club department store. Uh, So I I don't know, people do see ETs in public places, and other people don't seem to be able to see them.
1: Well, all I can think of is, um, and I've talked about this many times, you know, Garnet Schulhauser, who has taken by his spirit guide in his astral body and caruses the cosmos and speaks to all manner of life, uh, both mystical, you, you know, and extraterrestrial off-world beings and spirits and all manner of consciousness, has said that he met a being that, um, and he said that there are many on earth, that are here um, and they look completely human, except that they have a holographic um, technology that makes them appear human, but they actually don't look human. And so to our physical eyes, we see them as looking like any other normal human, but it's um, a holographic image that's over what they look like. And so maybe if you have heightened, I don't know, psychic senses, you see past that and you can see what they really look like. Like, so if people are seeing ETs in public that nobody else can see, they just, you know, maybe they're seeing, that's the only explanation I can come up with. What does everybody else think about that?
0: I think I think this happens quite a bit more than people realize because uh, I did a research study under this and I found cases where people have seen ETs in casinos uh, at bus stops, in a convenience store, at schoolyards. I mean, gas station, there was a couple of those, quite a few. (laughs) I was really quite shocked to to see how many I found. And uh, yeah, they do have the ability to sort of put, like you said, an overlay or a screen memory is often a term that's used, uh, and make themselves appear human. And I've been... been ufo conventions sometimes you know i have a table with my books people will come up to it and i'm like wow this guy looks really unusual (laughs) i i remember one time specifically where i was had just uh had a table up in ventura here in california and my sister-in-law who is an artist and has worked very closely with me she was there and this gentleman walked up who was just very gentle very kind and had very piercing eyes they have a way of looking at you that kind of looks right through you Uh, and this is something almost universally people who have encounters with ets are struck by is the eyes yep and i'm looking into this guy's eyes and i felt a little like (laughs) naked almost uh, because hes but he was kind and had this soothing energetic presence about him and he just said a few words to me Um, and then moved on to my sister-in-law, and then moved on, and she turns to me and says, I think that guy's an ET. I'm like, really? (laughs) Because I was wondering. Uh, Yeah, I think they are among us for sure.
1: Yeah, more than we know. David says here, uh, is there a common theme to ET message and interaction with those they visit and reveal themselves to. Do you think the mass sightings of motherships over a major city like Los Angeles is imminent? A couple of questions there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there absolutely are uh, commonalities when people speak to ETs. Uh, Probably the most common message that people get is don't be afraid. (laughs) We won't hurt you. That is the first thing, particularly greys, but really all the ETs will tell a person. And that's very encouraging to me because uh that shows that they are not here to hurt you they're saying it they're not trying to scare you because we here on earth in particular have a very strong fear response to anyone who looks different Mm. this is something that's sort of fostered in our fear-based media it's really quite unfortunate that, because there's no need for it we're all very much connected we're all one truly And uh, that would be the most common message people get. But if you don't have a strong, you know, when you're taken on board and you're physically examined, a lot of people have a very strong fear response. And what the ETs will do is they will render you unconscious, basically, because you're in a complete panic. Hmm. And uh, they don't want to leave trauma, so they will leave people with basically missing time or amnesia of the event. Uh, but trauma has a tendency to bleed through to our conscious minds anyway, so people are left with missing time and these kind of scary images of encountering uh, beings that do not look human, and this leaves them with anxiety often. So this is what's led to a lot of fear surrounding this subject. But I have to tell you, when people don't have a strong fear response or when they move past that initially due to repeated encounters, uh, it's amazing what happens. They aren't rendered unconscious. They do not lose their memories. They're not paralyzed, as often does happen. And they do get messages. And the messages are really quite encouraging. And I'll, well, I mean, they can be a little scary, too. <laughs> I'm not, uh, but they're positive, let me put it that way. They will give you a tour of the craft. Uh, they will take you to the control room and say, this is how we fly our craft. Would you like to sit in the seat? Would you like to actually try to fly the craft? This is not uncommon. This is pretty much every book I've written about people who've had encounters. There's at least a few people who've had this experience. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. And many others are taken to the engine room and shown how this craft is powered. Not only shown, but explained in detail Some who are able to grasp it to the point where they are given very specific instructions, even to to how to potentially build a, quote, free energy motor themselves. I've talked to people who've had this experience. One guy was an uh, electronics engineer in the Navy, and they explained in detail how he could build one of these motors. He did actually try. Uh, so that's encouraging. Probably the most common message people will get is warnings of some kind. They're very, very concerned about our use of nuclear power, and nuclear weaponry. That's the number one message. Like, what are you doing <laughs> with your, these nuclear weapons? Don't you understand that if one of these things goes off, it's going to cause basically permanent damage Uh, You could destroy your species. And they also state that when we explode these bombs, we are causing damage in other dimensions that we're not even aware of. So that is a huge, huge message. Also, they will warn about upcoming environmental disasters and collapse. They're very concerned about our pollution, our use of fossil fuels. They're very concerned about our warlike ways, our aggression, Uh, also concerned about greed and corruption. They told one lady flat out, you must tell people to stop putting out the greed and negativity that they're putting out, otherwise you will destroy your world like we did. Uh, So they did have problems with this. The greys are actually human, just so you know. They are just suffering genetic damage. This is what contactees are being told. So these are the messages people are getting. Another very common theme would be uh, spiritual messages of some kind. They're very interested in waking people up to their own abilities to have precognition, to do astral travel, to do hands-on healing, channeling, um, dowsing, past life recall, All of this is a big part of the onboard UFO experience. And these are commonalities that I hear all the time. So that's the messages people are being given. And just to cap this off, yeah, I think we are gonna have a mass sighting (laughs) over (coughs) a major city. I do believe that's coming. That's been the pattern. They do it every five to 10 years. We're way overdue. Uh, This is what happened with Phoenix, the Phoenix Lights happened to mexico city in 1991 uh, happened to belgium happened all across france in 1954 there was a really furious wave of ufos all over france landing oh it was amazing uh Wythville, virginia had a wave H- upstate new york had a huge wave in the uh, early 1990s gulfries florida uh, stevensville texas They are basically announcing their presence. They're doing a publicity campaign, a very vigorous publicity campaign. We are way, way overdue for the next one. And I'm not sure where it's gonna come. Could be Paris, could be LA, Melbourne. I mean, it could be anywhere, but I'm thinking it's gonna be a major sighting.
1: Maybe there's going to be not just one mass sighting in one place, but maybe all over the globe. I don't know, no, who knows?
0: No, 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 I love that you mentioned that because I, I, this, the lady I'm currently interviewing,
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, she's from Florida. She's had fully conscious encounters since age 14, has had lo- I mean, hundreds of onboard experiences that she recalls in their entirety, taken to other planets. I mean, the whole deal. And I've heard other people tell me this, but often it's piecemeal. Uh, And she's saying this, that, yes, that will, they're planning on doing that at some point. on doing a full-on mass introduction, uh, which the only reason they haven't done is because we're not quite ready yet. Uh, But they have, you know, done this sort of, I mean, they flew over the White House in 1952. Large numbers of them caught on radar. We chased them with our planes, tried to shoot them down. Uh, But basically they have landed at Air Force bases like Edwards, uh, Nellis Air Force Base. uh, All across the world they have shown themselves to our leaders. And they are viciously covering this up. Cover up is no joke. It, It is absolutely proven. It's not at all a matter of speculation. We know this for sure uh, because we have the documentation to prove it. We have a long, long line of whistleblowers who were there and saw this happening. We know there is a cover-up. People have lost their lives over this.
1: Yeah, I know. That's why I reckon your work is just so incredibly important to get this information out there. Alicia has a... Uh,
0: But what they all are saying is that... At some point, the ETs do plan on announcing their presence to all humanity at large, and that really it's been our warlike ways, our aggressions, and our inability to sort of uh, lead ourselves. We're allowing ourselves to be led by uh, corrupt leaders. And uh, it's up to us to really fix our own problems they could come down and heal everybody and take over, uh, but they won't because this is something we have to do ourselves. Uh, at some, I think they would stop the planet from being completely destroyed. I do know that they have intervened in some large scale disasters. Uh, I've got firsthand accounts of it and they do intervene individually quite a bit. Uh, what I looked into is, is who's being healed in terms of UFO healings, because I have a lot of cases, 300. I wrote a book about it. And the 300 I found, I uh, am absolutely certain is the tip of the iceberg. I'm like, hey, why are they healing you know, some people and not others? This is weird. And you know, why are some people being contacted, period, you know, and not others? And I, I noticed patterns right away. Uh, one thing, and it was it's evenly divided between men and women, I thought that was interesting. Um, It's certainly not a matter of age. Very elderly people are being contacted, very young children. It's not race. I've talked to people of all races who have had encounters. It's not political party. (laughs) It's not religion. Uh, So the pattern I found was one, people who have a history of this are much more likely to have contact. People who have had childhood encounters, Their parents have probably had encounters, their grandparents, their children are having encounters. This does seem to attract families to a certain extent. Uh, But beyond that, there's a pattern that shocked me and kind of delighted me as well. And that's your profession. Uh, Because what I started to notice is a lot of contactees are extraordinarily nice people. They're super kind, very generous. And I, I would always ask them, well, what's your job? because, you know, you want to get all the details to solve the mystery. And I started getting a lot of social workers. I'm like, this is interesting to me. So I started looking more deeply into that. And it wasn't just social workers. It was people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity. So what we see within the contactee community are a very large amount of environmentalists, social workers, human rights activists, animal rights activists, teachers, artists, musicians, entertainers, police officers, inventors, doctors, so many doctors, uh, people who are doing good work. And uh, that I think is really encouraging because the ETs are trying to help, contact, wake up, heal the people who are really working hard to heal our planet and move us forward spiritually. We're pretty advanced technologically, but our spirituality is lagging behind. And that's the cause of so many of our ills these days. That's the cause of the divisiveness, racism, the unequal distribution of wealth, pollution. (laughs) All the problems we have can be directly traced to our slow spiritual growth. Got involved in 1986 as a complete skeptic. And uh, my belief system was utterly shattered. My worldview collapsed. (laughs) It was very difficult. I was not a happy camper. I was really upset. And I'm still, you know, it's 35 years later, I'm still dealing with it. Uh, Finding out, like, there is life after death. I started having out-of-body experiences, a lot of them. I started having a lot of psychic experiences started seeing ufos myself uh so this has been a huge huge shift for me and i think it is coming for everyone else and there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be rebuilding their worldview. yeah so i think that's why science fiction came around the same time and uh yeah a lot of this stuff is it's totally global we are shifting into a new paradigm for sure
1: absolutely i find it so exciting but um absolutely and and the thing is that listening to you someone who has had so much information you know come to you it just speaks to the stubbornness of the human mind how we hang on to old ideas old beliefs old um, paradigms and we don't change readily what is it going to take for us to change i don't know what's it going to take a pandemic C- kristen <laughs> yeah i don't know well cut catastrophe kristen you had a question
0: we're all coming down here to earth i think for specific reasons to learn things we cannot learn on the astral planes because there it's all oneness and love and truth and here on earth for individuals and we're here to learn very tough lessons. Uh, and uh, we have amnesia. <laughs> we don't quite realize that we're immortal. Uh, we didn't start here. We're not ending here. Or people talk about astral projection, uh, which is awesome. I love it. I've had a lot of experiences with it. But it's kind of a misnomer. The truth is we're projecting down physically. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> our true home is the other side. Uh, so... This is part of spiritual awakening, is waking up to the fact that we are immortal beings. If you ask me how old I am, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you I'm actually inf- infinite. <laughs> um, I'm billions of years old. We all are. And it's, that's what we're, I think, really struggling to wake up to, is and to connect back to source. And the ETs are doing their best to help us along with this. Uh, I was told, a contactee was told by the ETs, oh yeah, we've been manipulating your DNA for millennia. We mm-hmm. And we're seeing this whole hybrid baby phenomenon now. They are basically upgrading us bit by bit. It's very, very special to be human. We're down here in a very low physical plane. And uh, we feel things like nobody's business. I mean, they're, this I think is shown by the ETs' interest in our emotions. Uh, They find that very, very fascinating, the way we physically feel stuff. Uh, There's one case in Florida, which always comes to my mind, uh, where a gentleman was having lifelong experiences with gray ETs, and he had pretty much gotten over his fear with them because he'd had a lot of encounters, and they showed up one day, and he's like, hey, if you're gonna take me again, why don't you heal my hernia? And they said, oh, we know the condition of which you speak and we will repair it. That's pretty much a direct quote. And they did, they healed it right then and there. And so he had their attention. He's like, why are you taking me? Why do you keep abducting me? And they said, oh, well, we are interested in your genetic potential to live a long time. And that really rang true to him because his grandfather was 106 years old and still kicking, still very active. And we do see an increasing longevity in our population as time goes on. That could be because of ET intervention. And this just once again shows, I think, what they're trying to do. six killer clark has a case involving a bicyclist who was taken on board. A, he did, you know, bike racing. And he came back from his encounters faster and stronger and started winning all his races. This is what I would call a health upgrade. This happened to John Hunter Gray, a social worker who has really fought hard for indigenous people here in the US and had awards to show it. And he counted over 20 physiological improvements. Another guy interviewed Michael Carter, actually got an award from President Clinton for his fights against racism. And he was healed of a blood clot in his leg. These ETs came down and healed him. So I don't don't buy into the fear narrative, the alien threat narrative. It's not true. (laughs) Uh, Yes, people do have some negative encounters. And yes, it can be very scary. But largely, that's our own perceptions, our own fear-based thinking. And uh, it's really important that we leave fear behind and move towards a place of love and spirituality. And that's going to change the world.
1: Hallelujah. Yeah. I had Michael on the show. I loved him. I found him through you Preston. So thank you. I loved his story. Yeah. So you're saying that like your uh, manted friend um, who had found herself on an operating table and she was, um, she wasn't sick that it's more about tweaking and upgrading the DNA than it is about healing the physical body of ailments. So a lot of the um, encounters or, or, abduction stories where they find themselves in operating rooms or laying on some table and they're doing some surgical procedure it's more about tweaking their dna Um, as you're talking i'm asking them and they're saying that um, the human dna has programmed within it the aging process and if you change that you can change the aging process and i'm like and they're also saying you can do it with your consciousness as well but um, failing to teaching people how to do it with their consciousness, they need to do it surgically. Is that what you're saying, Preston?
0: Uh, I think there's multiple methods. You know, mm. How we think, how we feel, what we eat, mm-hmm. you know, the company we surround ourselves with, all of this has an effect. Um, so I think there's multiple methods. They are definitely working with people physically, but spirituality, again, is one of their main agendas for sure. I do think it's up to us. Uh, The ETs really sort of want us to meet them halfway, so to speak. If you want to see a UFO, um, it's not hard to do. You just have to sort of reach out and ask. I joined a group called C-SETI, headed by Stephen Greer. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Stephen Greer. He's a very prominent researcher, and he talked about how to call down UFOs. And it was interesting because he came to L.A. to give a presentation. And he's like, okay, here's the protocols I've put forth that you can use to call down UFOs. And here's a case by Preston Dennett. I'm like, whoa, this is actually, and he described this uh, guy I had interviewed who was down in San Diego and used a green argon laser on top of what was then the tallest building in San Diego as a publicity stunt for a radio station it ended up attracting the attention of a ufo and then he cited another one of my cases which took place in santa monica where a gentleman used computerized pitchel lights he worked for nbc and was creating a a peacock's tail and they turned these lights on and looked like a a disc almost turned it on and these two ufos came swooping down and so this is how he sort of founded c seti and We went out the first night, a group of us, there must've been about 30, 40, maybe 50 of us. And we saw a UFO the first night. (laughs) I was stunned. Uh, Someone shouted, look up. Uh, And I looked up, we all looked up and there was this huge kind of blob of light. And it was quite high up there, but it was definitely not normal. And they will, you know, they are waiting for people to reach out. I've done a lot of these CE5 groups and often it works best if you bring someone who's never had a sighting, a UFO Virgin, so to speak, and that's when they will come down because we've been out there and all of us have had sightings and we won't see anything uh, but as often as not, you know, we will see something like an anomalous light. Melinda Leslie, she's a pretty well-known figure in this field. She does month, or uh, regular tours in Sedona and she says every time they go out, they see a UFO. She, and this is what the ETs are doing. They're conducting a grassroots campaign, going from person to person, generally small groups, sometimes slightly larger groups, because our own governments are not forthcoming, transparent, or truthful. These ETs did go to government and asked them to disclose and our governments would not do it. So this is why they're taking people on board and showing them about free energy and how to not use fossil fuels. This is why they are giving warnings against nuclear proliferation because our government is not listening. There was a very famous case in Malmstrom uh, Air Force Base in Montana where UFOs came down and actually turned off the nuclear missiles, shut them down. I interviewed a guy firsthand. This is one of the whistleblower accounts in my latest book, Wondrous. This was a clear message, a clear message to stop messing around with nuclear power. And how does our government take it as a threat? Like, oh, you know, they're shutting down our nuclear weapons. No, it's not a threat. It was basically taking the matches away from a young little kid who's about to burn the house down. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's us to, up to us to a certain extent to reach out, to prepare ourselves, to accelerate our spiritual growth and wake up to the fact that we are all connected. What when you hurt someone, you're hurting yourself more. Um, I'm just gonna briefly go to near-death experiences because I've, you know, I've studied all aspects of the paranormal. And what i love about near-death experiences what really fascinates me about them is the life review when a person has a near-death experience and they visit the other side they are shown their life and it's not only being shown they relive it and they feel all the feelings that they put forth on others both good and bad i talked to a guy who was just weeping as he explained this because he was not a good guy until he had his near-death experience he said he went through hell because he had to relive all the feelings and all the hurt he had placed upon other people. This is how connected we are. When I have out-of-body experiences, I'll come back overwhelmed with like connectedness. What other people feel, I will feel. We are so much more connected than people realize. We're all telepathic. We all pick up on each other's thoughts. Um, it's just that we're very, our consciousness is very largely compartmentalized And we're not fully aware of it, but it does bleed through. Sort of like when you're in a concert or when there's a worldwide disaster, this feeling sweeps through everybody and we're all vibrating at the same resonance. Uh, We are all one. That's my point. You know, uh, I I think we're all ETs. Um, I'm going to just start with that. Um, I mean, we talk about, you know, being human, but... Human origins is still somewhat of a mystery. I'm not so sure we're from this planet. There's a book out, uh, Humans Are Not From Earth, by Ellis Silver. And he builds a pretty compelling argument to say that, you know, we're really not adapted well for Earth. And uh, I wonder about that because we have human-looking ETs, absolutely human. So this raises serious questions about who we truly are. And did we actually evolve on this planet? I'm not so sure we did. And according to contactees that I've interviewed, uh, some were told that human history is far different from what we're taught, and that we, at some point, lived on Mars. Uh, And that that there's quite a lot of interest in that right now. As far as myself, um, I have had a lot of past life recall. uh, And I have had some memories of being ET. I can't say I'm attracted to a specific planet. I do love Saturn. I think it's really beautiful. (laughs) So maybe one of Saturn's moons, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but very early on, when I started researching the paranormal and UFOs, I had the opportunity to see a group of channelers, um, over a number of them, including uh, Bashar, who's world famous. He was actually the first I saw. Um, Daryl Anka, I think is that his name? And uh, he tur- pointed to me, <laughs> he's like, okay, I see UFOs above your head. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, because <laughs> I was not well-known. I hadn't written any books at this point. And uh, he's like, you have a past life as an alien. You are here to anchor the ET energy on this planet. That is your mission. And I can feel it. Boy, I am driven to, to get the message out about UFOs and life after death, both. I saw another channel, and they said, you have an ET past life. You're all about UFOs. I'm like, wow. And a third channeler said basically the same thing. I'm like, hmm, I'm starting to feel a little alienated here. Uh, so, yeah, I think probably I have had past lives as an ET. I remember a lot of past lives. Um, to be honest, we all have them. You can sort of spot your own past life if you just look at your phobias, your tastes and food, your interests, Um, sometimes you'll have, what do you call it, deja vu or just an attraction to a certain uh, place or person. There's all these really easy ways to sort of pinpoint or point towards your own past lives. Uh, But that's something I think we all want to get or should get in touch with is who we truly are because what we think of ourselves as a personality and an identity. Like I always want to be Preston. I don't want to like die and turn into someone else. And I thought a lot about this reincarnation and this sort of thing. And basically it's, I'm never going to be someone else. I might change my name, you know, I might shift a little bit in my personality. The Native American culture, people would change their name each time they went through a growth cycle. And that's kind of how I look at past lives. Yes, I'm a little. I'm I looked into you know the whole healing power is not limited to the physical. There are people who've had emotional or mental problems and have had encounters that helped them. Uh, one gentleman was suffering from suicidal ideations. He wanted to end his life and actually went out into the high desert here in California with a gun and was prepared to end his life and had actually gotten to that very moment, holding up the gun, and that's when a gray appeared. And he looked at it (laughs) and put the gun down, and he had missing time. Uh, But following that, he was no longer suicidal. And I have another case very similar to that. And one lady, she actually called me up after she read my book because she was suffering from severe depression and had this golden orb come floating into her kitchen and just sat there in front of her and sort of communed with her. And she felt this depression just leaving her. Uh, And she was just on cloud nine for months afterward and has not suffered from depression since. Uh, So yeah, I think they are doing their best to help people emotionally. Uh, A lot of the greys in particular uh, are not super emotional beings. Sometimes they have apparently bred out their emotions to some extent because they suffered badly from them and destroyed their society due to the same reasons we have, being overly aggressive and greed and corruption and all of this. And that's one of the reasons they uh, reportedly – Spread out their emotions and so now they're trying to reintroduce them to a certain extent so this i think has caused some problems when people are being contacted by greys and this is why there's been some real fear involved people have been i remember whitley Strieber was contacted and the gray said to him why are you screaming <laughs> um what's wrong you know how can we stop you from screaming and uh whitley's like please let me smell you and that helped him become grounded And another guy, uh, he was being taken and he wasn't happy. And uh, ETs came one day, it was a female gray. She says, hi, my name is Nelda, N-E-L-D-A. She says, I'm the highest ranking female on the ship. I'm the commander. And we just wanted you to know that we're done with you. We're done with our work with you and aren't you happy? And the guy, Andrew said, no, I'm mad as hell. And she tilted her head and said what's mad and what's hell she did not know so he had to explain it to her so i think that's one of the problems why we haven't seen more of these cases where they are able to understand our emotions uh, because we are a very emotional species it's one of our strengths and one of our weaknesses it's a double-edged sword Uh, it's wonderful to be emotional but it's hard life on earth is brutal. Uh, and uh, Robert Monroe talked about this. Robert Monroe's the out-of-body uh, expert, really. He wrote three books about this and really introduced this to the Western world in a big way. And he said, people who graduate from the Earth School are highly respected throughout the universe. And I had to laugh because I'm like, this is a hard school. <laughs> I'm, I hope I can graduate and get a good grade because it is not. Easy, and I can totally see that being true. And uh, yeah, apparently there's a long waiting list to get on earth to sort of come down and live a physical life. And a lot of people don't do it because it's hard. Um, how do you explain pain to someone who's never ex- experienced it? How would you explain complete separation from the source? How, how do you explain all these things, loss? you know, despair, depression, to someone who's never experienced it. And the ETs are very connected. They are extremely telepathic. They are all one together. They cooperate together in a way that we don't here do here on earth. So they're very deeply spiritual. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons we have so many problems here is because we're so compartmentalized and disconnected. And that's why they're working so hard to understand us and uh, our emotions. And yeah, they are healing people emotionally, for sure. 30, 35 years ago, when I came into this field, uh, there was really a lot more skeptics, a lot of really vicious debunkers. Uh, I mean, you couldn't go on radio or television without someone basically attacking you. And the news report that actually got me interested in, was on November 17, 1986, and it featured a pilot sighting over Alaska. And it's really an amazing case. It's quite extensive, involved radar returns, multiple witnesses, and the news reporters giggled their way through it and joked and did not treat it at all seriously. Uh, And we're still seeing that to some extent. I remember this was actually brought up during a White House press conference, the UFO subject, and a wave of giggles swept through the press room. And I I just kind of hurt my heart. I'm like, come on, take this seriously. Uh, Now we have this recent disclosure from our own US government, which was a seven page document filled with lies. basically saying, oh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe UFOs are real, but they could be balloons, They could be a foreign government, there could be you know, radar clutter. We don't know what they are. There's no evidence they're extraterrestrial. They could barely use that word. Uh, and they didn't make one single mention of people who are actually having contact, which is so many people. It's not just a few. Uh, I heard a quote very early on from J. Allen Hynek. He's the father of modern ufology, really. He was the astronomical consultant for Project Blue Book and actually left Project Blue Book because he found out it was not a true investigative body. They were basically covering up. They, any case that was good, they would bury. Any case that was obviously Venus, they would devote all their time to it. and. If, there was a good witness who saw something valid well they would attack the witness uh it's really unfortunate uh, so he said one in 40 people have had an onboard experience and that's a lot that's millions and i thought to myself that can't possibly be true <laughs> because that would mean i know someone who's been on board i was pretty sure i knew 40 people and that's what got me to ask everyone i knew you know what do you think of these darn ufos and i found at least three or four people within my circle of family, friends, and coworkers who had had contact. And uh, I am pleased that it's being treated more seriously now than it was back then. We're not where we need to be yet. There's still a really strong ridicule factor, which is our own government's fault. World, you know, all across the world, this has been a policy to make UFO witnesses look like idiots. Hoaxes, hallucinations, misperceptions, that's what happened to you. It's like, wait a second, people are being taken on board. They're being healed of illnesses. You can't fake that. What about these alien implants? What about the landing trace cases? Uh, The governments are absolutely ignoring the very best evidence and refusing to discuss even the idea that people are being taken on board. Uh, the media is all about the mighty dollar, you know, so I think what we need to do is sort of trick them at their own game and make it worth their while. Uh, because I don't think governments are going to disclose unless it's to their benefit. And I don't think the media is going to embrace this in a serious way unless it's to their benefit. And now it is, it's getting to that point where there are enough people who have had contact that they w- want to learn about ufos for real so this is why i think we're seeing this bust into the mainstream why there's a lot less debunkers uh people are not so afraid of letting me use their full name now when i write about their encounters yeah um it's definitely shifting for the better Uh, but we're still not quite there yet this is a very very popular subject on the internet it's the second most popular subject on the internet Next to sex. Next
1: um. to sex. Really? Is it, really? Yep. Is that like Google? Like, is that sort of no. Mo- Most
0: statistics? searched item. Yeah.
1: Most search is UFOs, is it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And next to sex being the first one.
0: <laughs> That's right. Wow. Wow. Always, yeah, it's really interesting. This is a, a subject whose time has come. Absolutely. You know, when I see someone, you know, you talk about uh, Ross sort of making a change, and this is what happened with George Knapp. He was a a prominent journalist or Jorge Martin from Mexico. He was the guy from 60 Minutes in Mexico, Ah. the equivalent of that. And we've got a lot of famous people. Tom DeLong, um, a very famous musician. We have Miley Cyrus now. Miley
1: Cyrus uh, is talking about it.
0: Yeah. A lot of prominent famous. uh, Whenever I see a famous person coming forward, I'm like, yeah, you do it. Go, go. She's got a (laughs) Um, bit of a following. I, I want to
1: ask you, because time's getting on, I want to ask you about the cattle mutilations because it's something in this oh, no. documentary that they talk about right at the end um, because they finish the documentary and then Ross comes back on and he's in lockdown. We're all in lockdown in Australia and he's in some hotel in lockdown because he's come from overseas and they've locked him in for a few weeks. And um, and then they go on to, to talk of this couple in the outback that talk about the cows. And the person in your group, Michael, was pretty sure that all cattle mutilation is human and not ET. What's your take on it, Preston?
0: Yeah, I looked into it deeply actually because I wrote a book called UFOs Over New Mexico, which was very hard hit by the cattle mutilations and Colorado as well. I did a book on Colorado, their second most hard hit here in the US. A lot of cattle mutilations uh, starting, I mean, became popular or well started to be publicized, I should say, uh, in the early 1970s, and uh, there are some accounts where UFOs are hovering over these things when they occur, uh, but more often we see black helicopter activity. And I started to really look deeply into this, and like looking connecting with the researchers who are you know sort of specializing on that, because I haven't specialized on cattle mutilations by any means. I've interviewed a few people, but uh, very few. So I basically looked into the researchers who are specializing in this, like Gabe Valdez was really the guy when it comes to cattle mutilations, because he was dealing with it in, he was a police officer in New Mexico, and he ultimately came to the conclusion that it was government. And this is what Lawrence Fawcett and Barry Greenwood also said. And this is what a number of the really prominent abduction or uh, mutilation researchers are saying that, no, it's not the ETs that are doing this. It is a government disinformation campaign to make ETs look bad. And they are basically taking these cows and the genetics, which has long strands that are identical to human. I mean, genetics from creature to creature does not vary nearly as much as you would think, All our genetics are very close to the same, even in plants. Uh, The whole study of genetics is fascinating. And uh, probably they may be using this for their own nefarious genetic (laughs) studies because there's a a lot of uh, time and money and effort being spent by this, quote, secret government in genetic research and germ warfare and reverse engineering and all these things. Yeah, I think it's probably mostly government. Uh, the contactee I'm currently interviewed is absolutely 100%. So don't you dare b- blame the ETs. I know for a fact it's not them. Um, they would never do that. Uh, so I still wonder about some of the cases where people clearly describe UFOs over, you know, when this happens. But perhaps they're investigating it. Perhaps, I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ETs out there. It's a wide, wide universe. Not everyone is going to be our space brothers, but as near as I can tell, yeah, it's government.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, as you say, if you're seeing ETs uh, ships around, they might just be watching the humans do it. Like, what are you yeah. humans doing now? You're mutilating or, these cows. <laughs> like, or why? it could be
0: government. It could be our own government reverse engineered craft. And they're I think just. That's- fooling us disinformation is a real thing
1: yeah yeah that's true oh my god preston thank you so much for taking this time out to be with us today on your sunday
0: i'm like all zinging with energy right now just talking about all this so
1: (laughs) me too i could talk about it all day (laughs) thank you honey one thank you so much (laughs) for coming on with us it's been amazing thank you so much preston it was amazing
0: Thank you. Thank you, Preston. Amazing. Thank you, everyone. Thanks a lot. It was Loved fantastic. It. It's so much beautiful stuff in here. Loved it. You're a beautiful, beautiful soul. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, def-
1: definitely a catalyst. We're all lighting up. So, <sighs> really, really doing your work. It's yeah
0: y'all yeah. make me so happy <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna cry
1: <laughs> you make us happy thanks again everyone <laughs> it's been an absolute <laughs> blast and um i've got a million more questions i could ask you i think i might have you back on the show big love
0: bye <laughs> bye guys <laughs>